0: Hey, Lori Lynn, the dad from Modern Family told me that I get some extra money from the IRS for my business. Should I do that? Uh, Yeah, take it. Take it and run. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I expected. I'm going to give, now I'll give the famous
1: accountant's answer. It depends. It depends. Maybe. (laughs) I need more info.
2: where we ask uh, experts why we shouldn't commit tax (laughs) fraud.
1: You would think just like not committing it would be enough, but it's like, no, we need people to tell us not to do it. (laughs) Uh, Welcome. I'm Dan.
0: I'm Jess. And we've got a guest today. Lori Lynn, tell me more about yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Laurelyn. I am a CPA and I have been now in the accounting industry for about 10 years, kind of specializing in small businesses. So especially, you know, during COVID, all the relief stuff that was coming out, I was staying, you know, watching the news very closely communicating with clients like, this is what we should do. Don't do this, do that. And so really stepping, you know, into an advisory role. And what's just so interesting is now we're three years, three and a half years out from a lot of those, you know, original relief programs and stuff when they were launched. And it's been interesting to see kind of how they've morphed and, you know, how unscrupulous companies have stepped in and from what we're seeing taken advantage of taxpayers.
0: Well, and I think, you know, one other thing to point out is that you have a, what I would say, an excellent, like, top 10 or top, like, 10 in all of each TikTok accounts out there. Uh, <laughs> see, the only people, person I follow on TikTok, uh, tell me a little bit more about what you do. <laughs> yeah, not even Dan. I don't follow Dan. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. So, so, sorry, Dan. <laughs> She's like, you're one of my top 10 TikTok accounts. I only follow 10 though. So that's how you made it. But yeah. So uh, honestly, I think part of why I got started on TikTok was part, you know, partially because I was on lockdown at the time I had COVID. And so I was like, oh, People seem to be posting a lot on TikTok. And then I started coming across very quickly, just like naturally my algorithm, a lot of misinformation around tax stuff. And it's, of course, it's never the tax people. It's never attorneys saying this stuff. It's always some type of like influencer. And what's just was really interesting to see is they would get tons and tons of engagement on these videos. And so then they would be prompted to post more about taxes because they're like, oh, this is what the people want. But then (laughs) at the same time, like these are not people who should be out there giving tax advice. So one of my like earlier videos that kind of went viral was me responding to, you know, some entrepreneur talking about real estate taxes, like taxes in regard to owning real estate and, you know, of course, getting it wrong. And then that was kind of what preempted like, oh, people are actually interested in this information. Maybe I should start posting more like this.
2: So, you know, obviously, the tax code is a million miles wide and a million miles deep. Uh, but when you are thinking about all the, these various tax issues and, and kind of looking at content, I mean, what what really sparks your interest in it? Is it just trying to, to correct the record? Is it recognizing that there's harm happening? I mean, why, why put in the effort?
1: Um, well, at the end of the day, uh, I grew up on the internet, and I like to argue on the internet, and I like to prove people wrong. So that is... <laughs> Kind of one of my core traits, like in college, I remember, so I'll date myself here, I was a freshman in college in 2003. And I remember there was this forum called Political Crossfire. And I'd be on there until like 2, 3am in the morning, like arguing with people about like the dumbest stuff. So it's like, there is a part of me that just loves to debate and prove people wrong. And I'm the type of person, I'm not going to get in a fight unless I know I can win it. And so (laughs) part of it is just like, I find it enjoyable. And then another part of it is like, incorrect tax advice has real consequences. And so I think part of the reason we don't see a lot of like tax people giving advice is because it is so nuanced and we truly understand like, someone can take information and take it out of context really, really easily. And we don't, not even that we'd be liable for that, but it's like we would not want to inadvertently lead someone astray. So that's a lot of it too is seeing tax advice, which could be correct in some situations, but the way it's presented is like this blanket, like everyone needs to do this. Everyone needs to buy a G wagon. Everyone needs to do the Augusta rule when it's like, okay, these are like, there's some... Yes, there's some very narrow use cases for it, but like at the end of the day, it's like saving on taxes. It's not sexy. It's like it's pretty boring. There are these like you know f- kind of formulaic steps you can do, and you don't have for most people these like crazy maneuvers you can do that all of a sudden just like wipe out your income for the year. But people don't want to hear that. They want to hear like, oh, if I buy a three hundred thousand dollar car, then don't have to pay taxes. Well, it's like cool. You just spent three hundred thousand dollars to save a hundred thousand. Great move.
0: Hey, I mean, but you get a G-Wagon in the end, right? So, <laughs> which,
1: which you can't afford the payments on it, but who cares? That's, yeah,
0: that's tomorrow's details. problem. <laughs> well, I think that's a really good transition to talk about, like what we really want to discuss with you today. So I feel like I've seen a lot, a lot of talk about these ERTC shops. Um, So kind of as I alluded to in our intro, I remember, I think it was the Super Bowl, there was a commercial with Phil Dunphy talking about, I think it was innovation refunds. Give us a lowdown on what this program is and what it's meant to do first.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So this was originally launched along with the PPP, along with the EIDL payments back in like March or April of 2020. But one of the reasons why I think a lot of tax preparers or um, tax professionals who are helping their clients with these kind of relief programs, none of us were really doing the ERC because at the time you could like literally do the ERC or the PPP. And for the vast majority of our clients, the PPP is what made sense. And so that's what we were, that's what we were educating ourselves on. That's what we were steering everyone toward. And then what happens is they change the guidelines and then all of a sudden, oh, you can take PPP. An ERC. And the issue that happened is the rules around whether people qualified were a little ambiguous when it came to things like shutdown orders, like what truly is a shutdown order, what truly is, you know, a reduction in business, like, uh, the ability to do business by like, there's like a 10% rule, like, Oh, your businesses were impacted 10% of being able to like get people into your restaurant. Like it was kind of these very vague, Oh, and things like uh, supply chain issues, a supply chain issue. Is that technically something that can qualify? And so people earlier on, like we're, you know, I'm a tax professional, so I'm very much like, there's a lot of ambiguity, around a lot of these things of whether someone qualifies. So basically I'm going with, do you have the revenue reduction or not? And if you do, cool, let's get URC. If you don't, sorry, you don't qualify. Like there's just, it wasn't clear enough to me to know know, whether other people would qualify under these other rules because there wasn't enough clarity on them. Well, then you have all these companies popping up not caring that the rules aren't clear and kind of taking this, you know, better to ask for forgiveness than permission approach. And then just kind of taking the most liberal approaches to all these rules. And then, you know, charging that 15 to 20% contingency fee. So, you know, whatever the client's getting back, they're taking 15 to 20% of it, you know, regardless of The amount of work you actually have to put in to get that like it's not much more work to get someone 30,000 than it necessarily is to get them 300,000 but the fees were not aligned with that at all. And so it's just like you have ambiguous rules and the ability to make a lot of money not doing a lot of work. I mean, it's just rife, rife for fraud.
2: So, I mean, the, the thing that pops up that, that I think we, we have seen essentially in every form of advertising for this that I've bumped into is essentially sort of a casual throwing under the bus of the accountants and the tax preparers of the world and saying, you know, your, your CPA just doesn't get it. They just, you know, they, they don't know how, to, how this all works. But we have a team of tax experts and tax attorneys who can ensure that you get the maximum uh, tax credit and refund possible under the law disclaimer, no tax advice or legal advice is given by this company. So you know, beyond just sort of the obvious eyebrow raise that, that invokes, why do you think that there's any credibility or why do you think the companies are so audacious in saying that you know really will get it right when your current professional who already knows your business and your financials isn't?
1: Um, I, I think some of it is the type of people that attracted, you know, who saw those big dollar signs. Like it was literally people who had never been in the accounting space ever being like, oh, this is an opportunity to make money. I'm going to jump in here. When that's your primary motivating factor, of course, like you're not going to care as much about like, is this actually, are we doing it all by the book? Because I think too, some of it is like, well, they probably know like maybe all these aren't completely legit, but if we do a high enough volume, the money we're making off the ones that are legit can cover the ones that aren't legit, you know, so we'll kind of have our, our butts covered. So I would not be surprised at all. Cause I did kind of hear this from someone who said like, you know, some of these cases where we're like, mm, this could potentially get overturned. Like they literally have a reserves account where they're just holding back some of the profits being like, okay, if this doesn't pass it, then, you know, we'll have a reserve to give it back. So I think that's part of it too. It's just so much money was flowing. They're like, you know what, even if these aren't all legit, we can cover it still it's fine
0: that's interesting so but one of the the things that the IRS tells well you know uh, taxpayers is that they shouldn't be paying a percentage of their refund to pay for their tax preparer but yet this still seems to be the primary wa- primary way that the shops charge is that correct
1: yeah and where i think it gets a little dicey cuz this was an argument that was happening among tax preparers on tax twitter was can we charge a percentage of fees and whether that's legal and da, 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 da. And I basically what the AICPA came out and said was it was legal. It wasn't like, it wasn't the same as if we can t- charge a contingency fee, like on an audit saying, we'll get you this amount of money back. And then two, what makes it a little different is it's a payroll report. It's not the return. And then that's another thing that happens is, okay, you get the ERC. Now you have to amend tax returns. Do you think any of these ERC shops, are telling these clients like oh you also have to amend these tax returns and claim this money as income essentially no no they're not and so <laughs> i've had uh there's one client in particular who used without my permission i already told them you don't qualify well a company swept in and said you do qualify Charged them a 20 percent contingency fee they're like hey we got this really large check from the irs what do we do with it and i was like what do you mean what do you mean you got a really large check from the IRS? And then I was like, uh, okay. I was like, I don't think you qualified for this. And also, like, now you have to amend tax returns. And I can't mend these for you because I don't think this is right. Because the IRS said, came out and said after the fact, Again, yeah, I'm very conservative. So anything that just doesn't sit right, I'm not going to do it. But the IRS did end up coming out and saying afterwards, like, "Look, you can't rely on these third-party work papers. Essentially, like, you have to do your own due diligence. So if you go ahead and do an amended return based on a bogus ERC claim, like, you can be hit with preparer penalties."
2: So it, it, that's all very interesting to me, as somebody who doesn't, who isn't a tax nerd or a professional tax nerd, right? Um, I don't, I don't live in the preparer land or the accounting land. Um, but the the idea of being paid a percentage based on sort of outcomes is is fascinating to me from the standpoint that obviously in certain professions and industry that's normal you have uh, personal injury attorneys who are paid a contingency fee or that sort of thing but at least in the investment world right it's it's not unheard of but it's essentially not a normal practice because it leads to bad incentives right we we will chase returns or take big risks with client money if we're going to be paid based on the gross returns as Mm -hmm. opposed to just the aggregate performance the aggregate value um you know, in, in terms of the AICPA coming out and saying it's not illegal, did that surprise you? Is, is, does that feel maybe unusual or or just out of place given the potential conflicts of interest?
1: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it. It didn't really sit well with me, um, you know. But I have friends who did it and did do a percentage. And then I had other friends who would do a percentage up to a cert- not to exceed. And I felt like that was a little more of an ethical way to do it is like, okay, we will do 10%, 12%, but will not exceed X amount of dollars. So, you know, once if their refund grows, cool, great for you. We're not going to charge more than this. So I thought that was probably, you know, in terms of like fair, quote unquote. But I mean, here's the thing. Even as tax professionals, you could have easily charged like by employee head. Like there's a lot of other ways you could have charged and still been compensated fairly. But I feel like the percentage just allowed a lot of people to price gouge.
0: So I know within the past couple of weeks, maybe it might be a, uh, six weeks or so, I think the IRS has come out with some red flags, I guess, for people to follow. So why don't you tell us more about how the IRS is looking at these now?
1: Yes. So there is um Dan Choden on tax Twitter, if you don't follow him, he's he's usually like my primary ERC news informant. So he's more on top of these releases than anyone. But the most recent one that literally came out yesterday was saying like OSHA um, rules requirements are not a government shutdown and don't qualify you for ERC. So if, you know, OSHA came out and had certain rules around like wearing masks or certain like you you have to keep people apart or whatnot. Like you can't use those rules to qualify you for ERC. And some other ones that came out, I'm trying to remember, were around like supply chain disruptions. So pretty much no supply chain disruptions qualify. Um, And then two, what they've done is they have rolled out, and the rumor has it, like it might shut down in January, but is allowing people to pay back the ERC funds. But it's only for people who haven't received the check yet or received the check and didn't deposit it. So we're really yeah. not yet getting any guidance on what to do with people who received the check, deposited it, pay in, paid innovation refunds, you know, and, <laughs> and, and amended tax returns, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a lot to unwind. How far do you
2: think that the impact of this is going to go? You know, I can imagine a a hypothetical where somebody did the ERC, maybe all the way back in 2020 or 2021 on the basis of something like a supply chain interruption. And maybe that was a genuine bump in their business. Do Do you think there's going to be any valid pushback where somebody says, hey, I know that you've now in 2023 said supply chain doesn't count, but I claimed this years ago because it surely counted when I claimed it. Um, do, you, do you think there's going to be a world in which we we end up in a healthy medium between ERC essentially almost gets entirely reclaimed and ERC is just free money that was raining from the sky?
1: Well, in terms of like, it was unclear two years ago who qualified. The IRS doesn't care. They're like, they're not going to be like, oh, we're just going to let it go then because we weren't clear. Like the, the IRS is going to win on that in terms. But then it's really what's going to come down to is like, I don't know how many taxpayers are willfully going to go return money like, especially like some of this is in the millions of dollars. So I would, I would guess that mostly what you're going to see is taxpayers who, especially ones who got really, really big checks, just sitting back and waiting for an audit. And the audit, and if the audit never comes, they're not going to say anything.
0: So yeah, just take the money and run. That's a totally (laughs) legit strategy, right?
1: (laughs) And what's interesting is I read about this in my newsletter last week, the original budget for the for the erc was like 80 something million and then they cut it off at like two, or 87 billion sorry 87 billion something like, Wait, what? yeah no no and then they cut it off at like 200 and like 30 or 40 or 50 billion is when they're like okay we need to stop issuing these because this feels like there's a lot of fraud and there's like currently i think 20 19 or 20 like open cases there's been four convictions with like an average of twenty one months of jail time. But like projected fraud is estimated to be like thirty four billion. So Holy it's
0: like,
1: <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's, it's I would a say it's like
0: loans right there. <laughs> it's
1: probably gonna end up being like one of the most like IR or Congress t- tax credit like rot fraud rot program ever when it's all said and done
2: so what would you tell somebody you know who maybe has been solicited by one of these companies who maybe has the has the worksheets or is is in the middle of it what would you tell that person if if they're uncertain if they're hearing you you know describe all these issues and challenges with it what would you tell them to to help them decide whether it makes sense to continue or whether they need to to stop
1: yeah i'd say reach out to your tax preparer
0: (laughs) and ask them (laughs) But what if my tax preparer is Phil Dunphy from Modern Family? Oh gosh. oh gosh! Oh,
1: then you're then you're just SOL. I mean, you know, as a taxpayer, you you do have to rely on professionals to a certain extent. So it's like do your own research as well, and pull in professionals when you can. What kind of is unfortunate is at the end of the day, like it's your return. You're the one signing it and saying, "Yeah, this information's correct." So you need to feel really sure about it and not just, you know, take this company who's taking 20% of your refund at face value.
2: If you are a, te- what would you tell anybody who is a tax client? Maybe it's your client, maybe it's some, some other preparer's client. But if somebody is feeling a little guilty or unsure, what from your perspective as the tax preparer is going to be the best way for them to sort of have the amnesty conversation with you? How, how should they just bring that to your attention and say, hey, maybe I shouldn't have done this. What, what do you think?
1: Um, I only had one client, thankfully, who did this, but I mean, you just need to be honest with your tax preparer and let them know. And then though, at the end of the day, like if we're having to amend your returns, we're going to be asking these questions anyway. And so it's better. It's like, it's one of those things where it's better just to confess than to get your hand caught in the cookie jar, like to be like, Oh shoot, they got me. (laughs) Cause I mean, what's unfortunate is if you come to us, like regardless of, you know, if you come to us or we catch you, if we determine based on, you know, our due diligence that you took this and shouldn't have, like we can't continue that engagement. And I can't even refer you to someone else because I'm not in good conscience going to refer a client to someone who I can't service because of like ethical considerations. So it's pretty unfortunate.
0: Well, this has been awesome. Any other parting comments that you want to take uh, on this particular scam or, well, I guess not scam, but uh, maybe a legitimate program with some scammy elements um, or anything else you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, I, I would guess like it's, in my opinion, I think a lot of this could have been avoided if the IRS had come out a lot earlier on and given definitive guidance on a lot of the areas that were very ambiguous. And so their lack of clarity, I think, is what allowed the fraud to flourish and it's you know I don't because of how many dollars were behind this I just don't understand the reasoning of why they kind of dragged their feet so long on this because this was like this is a big deal this is a huge program and now we're seeing the consequences of pretty much their inaction
2: you know, uh, my, my inner libertarian sings with uh, the phrase of the, of the phrase, uh, it's some, somewhat the IRS's fault. But uh, I don't think that's actually the, the lesson we're supposed to take away from
1: your comment. I mean, no, it, it is though, because, you know, especially us early on when these governments were rolling out, we needed, I was sending out newsletters to my clients every single day, because that's how unclear a lot of it was. And so it's like, I get that Congress can write these bills, you know, and with these blank checks pretty much and do things like that. But here's the thing. We know they do that. And you, you need to have the staff and the people on the ground to be able to be flexible and give out guidance a lot quicker than what we saw during all the COVID stuff. Like it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Like that's what I don't get. Like you need to plan for things that are within like reason of happening. And so that's, it's just like boggles my mind. It's like, really, there was no we needed to wait three and a half years to get guidance on this. Like, is that good enough? No, it's not good enough. <laughs> and now all the tax professionals got thrown under the bus as a result. <laughs> that's,
0: again, that's tomorrow's problem. They don't have to worry about that. But, uh, well, Laura Lynn, how can people find you? Yes. Um, if you
1: are in the accounting community, the best place to find me is just hashtag tax Twitter is where I post a lot. My handle is just Laurelyn Wilson, my name. And if you're a small business owner, where I post more small business content is TikTok. Although I've not been posting much content recently because I've been too busy with work. <laughs> but maybe in January, it might kick back up again.
0: <laughs> for like three weeks, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: seriously.
2: Well, thank you again for for joining us and uh, being being our first guest here on Fleece Fasts
0: i was Ooh. the first oh my gosh you popped our cherry Woo-hoo. Yay.
2: <laughs> fleece fests is produced by daniel yurker and jessica gettle daniel yurker is an investment advisor representative of my wealth planners a registered investment advisor in colorado And Jessica Gettle is an investment advisor representative of Pavilion Financial Planning, a registered investment advisor in Pennsylvania. Our theme song is Dr. Yes by Yari. Nothing discussed in this podcast is investment advice or any other form of advice. And the podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. If you make investments or other financial decisions because of the podcast, frankly, you weren't listening.